When there are differences, there will be conflict. You didn't hire people, or marry someone for that matter, who thinks like and acts just like you. The result of these differences can and probably will lead to conflict. Conflict of beliefs, values, opinions, and behaviors. Leadership on the Rocks podcast, where we equip and empower leaders like you to thrive in and create harmony between your professional and personal lives. I'm your host, Bethany Reese, and in today's episode, we'll learn four steps that will help you resolve conflict when it does arise. year of college, I had the pleasure of living in the same town as my grandma Pratt, and I made it a weekly ritual to go pick up hamburgers at the local A&W restaurant and spend the afternoon with her and my Aunt Lisa. Now, at the time, my grandma was in her 70s and my Aunt Lisa, who was born with Down syndrome, was in her 30s. And can I just say that my grandma and my Aunt Lisa loved, 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 loved their drama stories on TV. During the day, we would watch grandma's drama, soap opera, Days of Our Lives, And at night, we would watch Aunt Lisa's drama, the WWF, or the World Wrestling Federation matches. Now, like my grandma and my aunt, we all probably like to watch a good drama, but none of us really want to be caught up in the drama ourselves. We all naturally want peace and aspire for everyone to just get along. We want to build relationships that flourish and support each other's goals. Whether the relationship is defined as that of our employee, our spouse, or our child, We truly want them to flourish in reaching not only our common goals, but their individual goals. So what gets in our way of peace and positive growth towards goals with people? (laughs) Enter conflict. The truth is that people are different. So I guess you could say that uh, Sly and the Family Stone had it right in their 1969 hit, Everyday People. Different strokes for different folks. When there are differences, there will be conflict. You didn't hire people or marry someone for that matter, who thinks like and acts just like you. The result of these differences can lead to conflict. Conflict of beliefs, values, opinions, and behaviors. But let me remind you that conflict doesn't have to actually exist as an absolute result of differences. There are ways to foster healthy relationships with employees, coworkers, friends, and family that halt the growth of conflict, and there are ways to mediate conflict well when it does appear. So for example, let me set a big vision goal for your leadership. To be a great leader, you not only need to build a proactive culture that accepts diversity of thought and beliefs, but you must also coach your people in how to have problem-solving dialogue among themselves that seeks a win-win for all stakeholders. Modeling and teaching those you will lead how to problem-solve and have that dialogue is a major proactive strategy in building great communication within your organization. Now, I'm gonna cheat here and skip the details of all the proactive approaches on today's podcast because I already have a Rocks Before Sand blog post that shares tips on fostering healthy relationships. So you can find that link to the blog in the show notes. Today though, I wanna focus on how to essentially stop the bleeding, if you will, if you're already having conflict wounds in your work or your home life. So today we're gonna talk about four steps that will help you and I resolve conflict when it does arise. Now the four steps come with an amazing acronym of ACDC, 
for when the conflict has you saying or singing hell's bells. Okay, there's a conflict at work or at home. What do you do? You A, accept, C, check, D, decide, and C, converse, ACDC. In other words, the four steps to resolving conflict are A, accept the fact that you must have a conversation about the conflict. It won't just go away. C, check your ego, because it's really not about you being right, but going for the win-win. D, decide what should be addressed in the conversation and what resolution you really want. And then C, converse with all stakeholders involved to actually resolve the conflict. So grab your guitar, put on your best schoolboy uniform, and let's dive deep into the ACDC concept of resolving conflict. Step one in resolving conflict using the ACDC method is to A, accept the fact that you must have a conversation. Now here's the God's honest truth. Having hard conversations feels like a big scary task and honestly can make your stomach turn. Again, while we all typically like watching dramas, <laughs> we hate being a part of one. Now, the Rocks Before Sand podcast community is a safe place, so let's just admit the truth. We are often fearful of and have anxiety about having hard conversations with people. So to have a conversation in which the emotions are pouring and the tempers are flaring, it doesn't really appeal to us. And many of us work to actually avoid them at all costs. We typically sweep conflict or bad behavior even under the rug, stick our heads in the sand, and just hope it goes away. But this shouldn't be, not for the leadership on the Rocks community. We need to not be afraid to engage in problem-solving dialogue. Unfortunately, though, I'm afraid there seems to be a trend of leaders not willing to have the hard conversations needed to resolve the conflicts that are present. Leaders more and more seem to choose silence or avoidance of conflict. And maybe this is because leaders, you honestly deal with a lot more conflict than the average person. Why? Why is that? Well, because leaders lead people and where there are people, there will be conflict. As a leader, people are your absolute greatest asset. But boy, oh boy, can they also be your biggest heartache too. Conflicts that arise between people due to differences in beliefs, values, opinions, behaviors, or my personal least favorite, disagreements on who is accountable for what. A lack of accountability and ownership for problems breeds the perfect conditions for major conflict that can sink your whole ship, your leadership, if you're not careful. See what I did there? <laughs> your leadership? Yeah, I'm funny, not funny. Leaders must accept the fact that mediating conflict is and will always be a part of the leadership role that you have because you lead people. So therefore, you need to accept the responsibility for and make it a priority to have the conversations needed to resolve conflict instead of ignoring it and hoping it will just die down. So to truly accept the fact that you must step into the uncomfortableness of having the hard conversation, remind yourself of three things. First, as a leader, it is my job to model integrity and doing the right thing even when it's hard. Second, by stepping into the hard conversations, it shows that I see and care about the situations people are going through. And third, by working to resolve conflict, I am not only planting the seeds of accountability in work or home, but I'm laying the foundation for communication, peace, and harmony between the relationships involved. 
two in resolving conflict using the ACDC method is to see, check your ego, because it's not about you being right, but going for the win-win. Now, the presence of conflict almost always seems like an absolute result when it comes to differences between people. So now let's talk about the major current that runs underneath almost all conflict. In my opinion, conflict always seems to be present because people are prideful. Pride, or focusing on one's own dignity because of arrogance, gets in our way of listening to understand and having actual problem-solving dialogue. Since pride is a major undercurrent for conflict, we're going to spend a little extra time here talking about checking the ego. Instead of understanding and seeking a win-win when problem-solving, pride closes our ears, blinds our eyes, and causes us to dig in our heels. Pride has us focusing on ourself alone, and pride has us figuratively fighting to the death for other people to see and accept why we are right and they're wrong. We also become extremely frustrated with people that are involved in the conflict, and we start making assumptions about them. We begin making up stories in our minds about their intentions and judge them for the assumptions we've made. So what does the Bible have to say about pride? Now, Philippians 2 verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And the book of Proverbs, well, it has a ton to say about the pitfalls of pride. But for the sake of time, we're just going to look at two verses. So Proverbs chapter 16 verse 5 says, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. And one of the most famous Bible verses about pride is Proverbs 16, 18. And it says, pride goes before destruction and haughty spirit before a fall. So once we accept the fact that it's our job as a leader to have the hard conversations concerning the conflict, we must be sure to check our own egos before we do anything else. Hard conversations around conflict are not about us justifying our actions or the actions of others but about seeking to understand why each person feels the way they do and what root causes led to the conflict in the first place. Now, here's a hard pill to swallow, though. Every single stakeholder involved has ownership in the problem, and that includes you and me. Everyone must be introspective, check their egos, and understand that they all have played a part in causing the conflict. And conflict can usually be created because of many, many things, but there are three most usual suspects. One, a lack of clear communication. Two, allowing emotions to dictate how you treat others. And three, showing dominance over or a lack of respect and dignity for. Things like the other person's beliefs, values, thoughts, feelings, time, or ideas. So for example, I believe the number one offender is honestly just a lack of communication. We are prideful in the fact that we think we have appropriately communicated to the individuals prior to the conflict being created, thus making the conflict or a lack of performance their fault, not ours. <laughs> we say to ourselves that we told them all the details so they should know better how to respond. But the truth is that, yeah, we know the details of expectations in our head, but we only communicate generic concepts to others, or worse yet, we give them nonverbal signals that they have to then interpret. And then we assume that the other person understood not only the generic concept, but all the details that were in our head. This happens the most at work and at home. 
So let's work through a few scenarios where you are in direct conflict with someone due to all three of the usual suspects, a lack of communication, lack of respect, and emotions. So case in point, which may or may not have happened in my own household. Now you tell your teenager to clean his room. And after an ample amount of time, the teenager declares that he's done. He's done cleaning his room. So you walk in to check, you know, trust but verify, but you're going to check. And there are, you are immediately appalled to find clothes shoved in the bottom of the closet, snacks and trash still in the dresser, and the bed unmade. So you tell your teen that, I told you to clean your room. This isn't clean at all. And well, he just blows up at you and says, like, bruh, yes it is. Now, in your head... A clean room looked like clothes hanging, the dresser cleared of trash and junk, and the bed made. But to the teenager, a clean room meant nothing should be in the middle of the floor of the bedroom. So prior to the conversation that you're going to have now that you have conflict about the situation, you as the parent need to check your ego and have ownership of the fact that you did not clearly communicate what a clean room looks like. Now let's keep going. Another example is when a boss sends you a text at 8 p.m. while you're fighting your son, and she texts saying, sorry, but she didn't get a chance to look at the presentation until now, and well, you need to make several changes for tomorrow morning's presentation for the stakeholders. Now you're angry because you sent her that presentation a week ago and asked her for comments, and she didn't respect your work enough to look at it within the scheduled time. Now she's not respecting your home time and demanding that you make all of her last minute changes by the morning. So prior to the conversation with the employee about the presentation, the boss needs to check her ego and recognize that she should have shown respect for her employee's work by doing her due diligence and checking the presentation during the last week and allow him ample time to make those edits. And she definitely should not have texted her employee at 8 p.m., expecting him to work through the night to make her changes. That was completely disrespecting boundaries between work and home life. But wait, there's more. So let's keep going. Now, you as the parent had a rough evening at home because you and your teenager had a conflict about his messy room, and then you stayed up all night making your boss's edits to the presentation. So you show up to work the next morning, and you're sleepy, you're in a bad mood, and a coworker walks up to greet you saying, good morning, and you pop off with sarcasm and anger saying whatever, and then walking off. Now, your coworker is taken aback by your gruff tone and reaction and believes the sarcasm and anger is towards him. So he ends up canceling your lunch meeting for the day. Now, prior to your next conversation with your coworker, you need to check your ego and recognize that you let your emotions dictate your actions and that you were rude to him. You don't need to give excuses for why you behaved the way you did. You just need to have ownership of the actions and explain how you need better boundaries between the actions of others and how you let them affect your emotions. Okay, <laughs> did the three-part scenario resonate with anyone else but me? I may have or have not lived out that scenario for real. <laughs> but what about if you're having to mediate a conflict that is completely between two other parties? So let me give you a real-life example that I've experienced, but also please know that I have to be somewhat generic to protect all parties. So a male and female worked on the same team and both are great teachers. Remember, I was an administrator. Therefore, they are very passionate in their opinions about how to teach. Now, in one of their meetings, they needed to make a decision on the best way to prepare students for the big state test that was coming up. And they had a difference of opinion and kept talking over each other during the discussion that was leading up to the decision of what the team would do. 
So the female teacher was cutting off the male teacher as he was explaining his opinion, and then he popped off back saying that she was being the B word. And she cut him off, and then they just kind of blew up, and neither one of them, you know, finished the meeting, they left the room. So now we have not only a conflict of differences of opinion, but we have a situation of disrespect because they were cutting each other off and they resorted to name calling. Now, before I met with the male or female teacher, I needed to check my ego and my assumptions about what, it, what had happened and who was to blame. I need to remove all the noise in my head and walk into the meeting truly inquiring each of their sides of the story. I need to seek to understand what would have caused great teachers and rational human beings to act so unprofessional. With their passions being so heated about planning review activities for the state test, I also needed to ask myself, have I created an environment of extreme pressure and stress? Pressure and stress that can easily cause rational people to react in irrational ways? I do need to ask myself if I have created an environment of high expectations with encouragement and motivation to reach a goal, or an environment of high expectations with fear of losing my respect or losing their identity as a great teacher based on their performance. By checking my ego and assumptions first, I am better prepared to understand and find the root cause of the problem to address the conflict. Anytime you step into or prepare to step into a conversation to resolve conflict, whether you're directly involved or not, you need to do 50% of the pre-work in your head to check your ego and remove your justifications for your actions or assumptions about what happened and start asking questions about why the other person acted the way he or she did and how your actions or lack of actions could have played a part in it. So as you prepare to have a conversation to resolve the conflict, work to remove your own selfishness and prejudice and try to have empathy. Ask open-ended questions to allow the other stakeholders to share their side of the story and listen. And I mean really seek to understand from their point of view. Don't listen to craft your own rebuttal or justification for why you're right or justified in your actions. Now, before we leave the check your ego step, I wanna give you one revelation I have personally had in my marriage that has proactively stifled probably about 75% of the conflict my husband Jason and I used to have. So let me just explain. Jason and I have been married for almost 22 years and we are opposites in personalities. Now, early in our, in our marriage, I remember him saying this phrase, and I'm going to pretty much quote him because that's how much he said it. Forget us being on the same page. We're not even in the same book. <laughs> he said that a lot because opposites really do attract. Now, through the years, Jason and I have really grown in our skill sets of how to have problem-solving dialogue versus arguments in our marriage. We're not perfect, but at least we're making progress over perfection in our relationship. So now let me tell you one of the biggest ahas I've ever had as a wife. And it happened somewhere towards probably the end of our first decade of marriage. Now stay with me here and listen closely. My aha was that I have to stop expecting my husband to think and act like a 30-something year old woman. He is not and never will be a 30-something year old woman. (laughs) The fact is, Jason will never be me. He will never be like me, think like me, be like a woman, think like a woman, and he'll never have my personality. So by me checking my ego, I was able to now have a conversation from a place of openness to seeking to understand his point of view rather than coming in hot, because that's what I do, with expectations of him thinking like me and quickly agreeing to whatever it is I thought. 
Now, it also led me to better explaining my thoughts versus expecting him to be able to read my facial expressions and body language. <laughs> that never works in a marriage. So step two in resolving conflict using the ACDC method is to always check your ego. Step three in resolving conflict using the ACDC method is to D, decide what should be addressed in the conversation and what resolution you really want. Now, like we talked about in the check your ego step, there can be many root causes for conflict to exist. Things like a lack of communication, disrespect for other people, and letting our emotions dictate our interactions with others can cause conflict multiple times a day. Now, it's not only imperative that prior to the conversation that we check our egos, but decide one, what should be addressed in the conversation, and two, what resolution do we really want? Now, whether you're directly involved in the conflict yourself or you're mediating the conflict between other people, there is still a decision that needs to be made by you. What about the conflict do you want to address in the conversation and what end goal do you really hope to accomplish within the resolution? Now, I absolutely love what Patterson, Granny, and the other authors have to say in their book, Crucial Accountability. They say that you need to make sure you're addressing the right issue by getting down to the bare essence of the problem. You need to take time to understand the problem, decide what's bothering you the most, and be concise in how you explain the conflict or problem. So in other words, <laughs> distill the issue into a single sentence. When it comes to conflict, they explain in their book that you can address three things, the content, the pattern, or the relationship. Now the content is the actual behavior of a specific incident or event. The pattern is the behavior that has been happening over time. And the relationship usually has to do with concerns about trust and how we treat one another. Now, if you have not read their books, Crucial Conversations and Crucial Accountability, I highly, highly recommend them as a must read. And you can find the resources to their books in the show notes. So again, in deciding what to address, you can focus on the content, the pattern, or the relationship. But no matter which one you choose, make sure you address the deepest root cause of that area, or you'll probably find the conflict repeating itself some more. So for example, something I found in my own journey of getting better with conflict is that in the past, when I did finally get the courage to talk about a problem, I usually only referred to the tip of the iceberg about what I really thought the problem was. I tended to not identify the whole iceberg. So let me give you two quick examples. First at home, the at home example. And I really don't mean to pick on teenagers in the home, but nothing <laughs> tests your parenting and conflict skills quite like a budding young adult that is constantly fighting for independence. So my son plays on the golf team and he had a Saturday morning lesson scheduled. Now the night before I had taken his phone away and I honestly don't even remember why. I don't remember what that interaction was, um, but it led to the consequence of me having his phone. So I had his phone. So Saturday morning comes and is drifting away when my husband gets an email about our son missing his lesson. Now, honestly, both of us had a, a quick emotional reaction of anger to one another, not to him. And our son was upstairs sleeping while his coach was waiting for him at the golf course. Now we're in the kitchen stewing. And again, our son's upstairs sleeping. So we wake him up. We bring him downstairs to talk about the conflict. Now, our first question was, what caused you to miss your lesson? Now, his response was, well, I didn't have an alarm because you took my phone. So I didn't know to wake up, right? Our fault. Now, in other words, he blamed us. So FYI, 
and it's really important you know this, the boy actually has an alarm clock, an old school alarm clock in his room. <laughs> now, there are three things in play here. One, the situation at hand, he missed the lesson. Two, the pattern of behavior, his lack of responsibility that led to the phone being taken away the night before and now the lesson being missed. And then three, the relationship between him and us. So, you know, he is a budding teenager looking for independence. So we actually chose option three, the relationship. And we focused on how important it was for both parties, him and us as his parents, to have trust, patience, and communication in the relationship. And that all three of us were struggling in these areas of our relationship. So now he still had consequences. He still had to apologize and take ownership with his coach. But as for us, we're working on the trust, patience, and communication with each other. Now, a second example, but one more for the work environment. Let's say you're walking down the hallway at work and you overhear your team leader bad-mouthing leadership and proclaim that he's actually going to have his team change their strategy on a specific project to better align with what he thinks is right. And it just so happens that what he thinks is right actually goes against the organization's identified strategy. Now, this is not the first time this team leader has worked to force his own agenda and undermine the leadership and strategies of the organization. In fact, you've actually had complaints from his team members that he is on a, quote, powered trip. So now in this situation, you could talk about one, the situation at hand, the decision to change the strategy on the project, two, the pattern of behavior and not following directives of strategies for multiple projects, or three, the relationship. The dissension in the relationship between him as a leader and not only with the company, but with you as well. So now it's important that all people that represent leadership show a unified front in working toward company goals and that any disagreements among leadership should be handled in private, not in public in front of their teams like what he did. So again, here, I would want to address the deeper issue. The relationship between him, you, and the company and him as a representative leader of the company. Now, I know that my home and work examples both chose door number three, (laughs) the relationship as the topic to be discussed. And I kind of did this on purpose because I wanted to give you examples of conflict that you can always dive deep, dive deeper to find the bigger part of the iceberg. So often we stop way too short in identifying what the true conflict is because we're short on time. So usually we just take the shortcut. We talk about the one situation and never address the bigger problems of pattern or relationship if they exist. Now, as two side notes to step three, deciding what to actually talk about, you also need to decide when and where to have the conversation. In deciding when, never have the conversation in the moment when the emotions are high. You need to allow for you, your teenager, your employees to cool off first. Nobody can listen and be rational when their emotions are so high. And also, you don't want to have it when there's a bunch of chaos going on in the moment. So when you're mediating conflict between two people, you need to have a private conversation with each person. You need to schedule a time to meet with them in private and free from distractions. Now, if you are directly involved in the conflict, then you need to think about having, you know, a third person in there. It depends on how severe the conflict is. If it's mild, you can probably proceed with that private conversation, but if it's even a hint above mild, then you need to bring in a third party either as a mediator or as a silent witness, and that's to protect both parties from falsehoods of how that conversation went. 
So now second, you need to choose carefully the location of where the meeting or conversation will occur. If you're the leader and a person has had multiple infractions of a, let's say a lack of professionalism, then you probably should ask him or her to come to your office because there will more likely be clear expectations and directives given. Now, if it is, in a sense, a new behavior situation where more coaching needs to happen or maybe clarity of expectations because you're taking ownership of that and you're presenting them for the first time, then you should probably meet either in the employee's workspace or maybe a neutral location. Now, if the conflict directly involves you, where you have some ownership to accept and there will not be a directive given, then you probably need to meet in that neutral location. And again, you may need a third party present if you're involved in the conflict. So to recap, step three in resolving the conflict using the ACDC method is D, decide what should really be addressed in the conversation and what resolution do you really want. And there's three things you can look at. You can look at the content, the one specific event that happened, the pattern of behavior, or you can look at the relationship as a whole. And then you need to consider where and when you have that conversation. All right, our fourth and final step for resolving conflict using the ACDC method is to see, converse with all stakeholders to resolve the conflict. Now you actually get to have the conversation, finally, right? <laughs> but listen carefully. First impressions matter. So how you start the conflict resolution dialogue matters. It sets the environment that can foster either listening or ignoring, calm emotions or heightened emotions, ownership or defensiveness and resolution or more conflict. So to converse or have conversation means to exchange information and ideas. It doesn't mean that one party dominates the space. Now, in order for open and honest communication to happen in the conversation, the environment must be safe for all parties. So oftentimes, to establish safety, you really need to state what the conversation is about versus what it's not about and what the resolution is that you're working towards, it's really important that people know that ahead of time coming in. So if more than one party is involved, establishing norms may also help you with that conversation uh, so they know how to act during the resolution dialogue or the conflict resolution dialogue. Mm -hmm. Stating your hope for the resolution is a great way to establish safety because it helps everyone get on board and stay focused in what they're working towards, the actual resolution. So now, for example, and I'm going to give you another school setting example because that's my background, is you're in a school setting, there's a parent-teacher conference, and those are often scheduled to work through conflicts or gaps of performance between teachers, students, and parents. Now, in parent-teacher conferences, I would always start the conversation by welcoming everyone for coming, and then I would state the intended resolution of the meeting. So for example, uh, today we're meeting to discuss how we can all work together to make Susie successful in chemistry. That's what we want, Susie to be successful. So Susie, before we start the meeting, I want you to know that your parents, teachers, and myself all want you to be successful. So today we're gonna to talk about ways we can support you in that. So that repeats the resolution, and I'm talking specifically to the students so they can feel comfortable and, and safe in this setting. Now, by focusing the conversation on what really mattered most, supporting Susie's success, it's establishing the purpose for us reaching that resolution. Now, in mediating conflict setting between two parties, establishing norms is also very, very helpful in providing safety for everybody. Going back to the parent-teacher conference example, 
where so often the emotions are really high and the accusations are honestly very, very strong. Now, after I state the intended resolution, I would explain the norms on how we would all behave in the meeting. Now, I have sat in some, hmm, let's just say very, very passionate parent-teacher conferences, and I just want to give you a quick example of some norms I've used to start that meeting. Now, remember, before I state the norms, I've already stated the resolution goal. So here's an example of what I would say. Before we begin today's meeting, I would like to establish three norms of how we're going to interact today. First, we all agree to stay focused on our goal, supporting Susie and being successful in chemistry. Second, everyone will have a chance to speak and explain their concerns as well as their ideas for solving the problem. And third, we agree to communicate in a professional way by keeping calm and not cutting in or talking over each other. If any of these norms are broken, I will remind you of them, and if we continue to break the norms, I will end the meeting and then contact each party individually. Typically, after reading those norms, I get heads shaking and I get a grants. Nobody ever disagrees with that. So now, after you've worked to establish safety by stating the hopeful resolution and the norms for behavior, you need to state the conflict in the most concise way possible. This pretty much names the elephant in the room <laughs> and lets out the pressure of anyone else having to actually name the conflict. Now, continue with the parent-teacher conference example. I said that our goal was, you know, success for Susie in chemistry. I named the three norms that I was going to enforce. And now for the naming of conflict. Here's the example. We're meeting today because Susie and Miss Reese had a verbal conflict in front of the class. We're going to discuss causes that led to that conflict, behavior during that conflict, and how we will resolve that conflict so Susie will be successful in chemistry. And again, everybody pretty much nods their head in agreement because I stated the facts of what happened without choosing sides. I explained the problems we're going to discuss, and I again stated the resolution we're working towards. So, how you start the conversation matters. Your body language and tone matters. The making of the environment safe matters. And seeking to understand versus making accusations and fighting to win the argument also matters. So for example, saying, I want to talk to you about how you acted yesterday, sounds very accusatory. <laughs> and the person will be coming into the conversation with their defense shields up. But saying, hey, I wanted to check in with you about what happened yesterday, sounds not as accusatory. Now, as a leader, the right thing to do, and if you're legally the boss of someone, the legal thing to do is to ask an open-ended question and then shut up and listen. You must give the other person an opportunity to freely express their side of the story of what happened. And again, seek to understand and genuinely inquire to learn more about what they were thinking, feeling, and doing. Now, after ample time of listening and asking them to elaborate some more and then listening again, there will come a time for you to respond. Now, depending on whether you are directly involved in the conflict or not, there are various paths to be taken, but all paths should lead to the same place. Resolution, restoration, and a clear path forward. When working towards a resolution, you need to go for a win-win, which often starts with agreeing on what everybody wants the outcome to be. And people mostly want the same things. They want to be seen. They want to be heard. They want to be safe. And they want to be respected. And to feel respected, it means that all parties need to take ownership of their part in the conflict. Now, as you work with people to peel back the layers of the conflict, to its root cause, and then encourage people to take ownership, uh, by the way, which is easier to do when you're actually modeling taking ownership of anything you need to, then you need to focus on action items that will lead 
to ensuring the resolution is actually accomplished. Now, action items also help every party to have ownership in the resolution. In other words, it keeps the conflict from having a winner and a loser because everyone has action items to help make the situation better. So after you identify and have action items for a resolution, the next step is restoration. Conflict usually leads to a negative encounter and hurt feelings. So for restoration to happen beyond a resolution, there needs to be a positive experience to happen to overshadow the raw feelings of the last negative encounter. So for example, after you have a hard conversation with a child, a spouse, or an employee, you then need to be intentional in coming back around to the person to have a positive experience that will work towards establishing restoration of the positivity within the relationship. For me as a mom, I often want to hug it out and say, and remember, I love you no matter what after a hard conversation so that they know the conflict does not define our relationship, but that love does. Now, specifically for accountability conversations as a leader in a company, you will probably need to enter the concept of documentation. So let's talk about that for a minute. Now, in 95% of the hard conversations with employees, as a leader, I end our conversation by thanking them for stepping into the hard conversation, letting them know I'll email both of us to remind each of us what we agreed upon, and then reassure them that our working relationship is good. Now, if there was a third-party mediator, he or she might send the email to both of us. Now, however, if the conflict was with an employee that has a string of documented bad behaviors and directives, then I would end the meeting with a polite thank you, and I would let them know that I will be sending a follow-up email with everything we discussed so it is clear on what the expectations, directives, and next steps are. Then that email would outline topics we discussed, any rebuttals the employee had that shows I was listening, and then the directives and deadlines that were given. I would then file that documentation in the personnel file. Now, either way, I'm ensuring clear communication happened in resolving the conflict. So step four is to converse with all stakeholders to resolve the conflict. Conflict happens because we live and work with people. But today, we learned four steps in resolving conflict. Whether you're working through conflict with your children, your spouse, your family, your coworkers, or with your employees, let ACDC guide you through it. A, accept the fact that you must have a conversation about conflict. C, check your ego because it's really not about you being right, but going for the win-win. D, decide what should be addressed in the conversation and what resolution you really want. And C, converse with all stakeholders involved to resolve the conflict. And in case it wasn't obvious, let me be clear. <laughs> the first three steps in ACDC happen before you ever have the conversation to resolve the conflict. Most of the work happens before you ever open your mouth. Now go forth leaders, building your leadership on the rocks of resolving conflict. God bless. Hey, it's Bethany again. If you're enjoying the Leadership on the Rocks podcast, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Also, if you feel like this podcast is helpful, will you do me a favor and share it with your friends, family, coworkers, or anybody else who's trying to grow in leadership, but also wants to have that harmony between work and home? Thanks, and I'll see you next week. Remember, the most important rock you can build your life and leadership on is the rock of Jesus Christ. Today's Bible verse comes from Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God.